talking to people and stuff. How are you guys doing? Doing all right? Ready for the word of the Lord? Amen? All right, let's open our hearts to hear his word. Real quick, uh, those of you who missed the family uh, church meeting last Sunday night, if you don't know what the meeting was about, you can go ahead and ask people who were there. And if, any, if you need to process anything with us, you want to ask us any questions or anything, uh, let us know. We're not trying to be secretive. You can just come right up and ask me. But it's something that we didn't, uh, we had a meeting because it's not something we wanted to talk about here on a Sunday morning. And so uh, just ask. We'll, totally everyone's open and we can talk about it. And then if you have any questions or anything, let us know. Uh, so those of you who are visiting and stuff, again, it's just a, some family things that we were dealing with. Um, but I uh, love you guys so much, and, uh, and that those of you who are at that church family meeting, you know how committed I am to you and how much I love you, and uh, I think those of you who weren't able to be there, you know as well, absolutely, Michelle and I are so love you and so committed to you, and she's right. We're so proud of our church and the, the fact that you're walking with God, you're trusting the Lord, and you're walking in the grace of God. We are so it's really a privilege to be a part of this community, and this is our, this is our family. This is our church family, and so we, we very much love journeying with you guys. And so, let's, um, let's, we're going to dive into another message here on the life of David as we're learning to walk in the footsteps of David, learning from his example. We're seeing how, what it meant that David was a man after God's own heart. And here's the thing, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, if you want to walk, uh, if you will, follow David as he followed Christ, if you want to become like David so ultimately we can become more like Jesus, if you want calling like David fulfilled his calling, not that you're going to be king, but uh, you have calling from God, if you want to fulfill your calling just like David fulfilled his, we need to learn from his example, don't we? We need to learn what made him different spending months learning these things. We've been seeing how David was a man of faith, how he was a man of the word of God, and he understood and believed the covenant that he had with God. We've been, we've been learning how he was a man who loved the presence of God and understood the power of the presence of God and would worship the Lord. We've, we've been uh, learning just how much of a man of God David really was. And uh, we've been focused on the, the trials that he went through for almost a decade being a fugitive, chased by King Saul, he'd lost everything, and yet we've seen his integrity. We've seen his obedience to the Lord. We've seen that everything he did, he would ask God, he would inquire of the Lord, and he would ask God what to do, and he would, and he would obey the Lord. We've seen that David was a man of, of, uh, of uh, uh, faith, but also a man who walked in patient faith. That even in the midst of this trial that seemed to go on and on and on, like I said, for close to a decade, yet he remained patient in his faith, steadfast, trusting in the Lord, worshiping the Lord, didn't lose heart, even in the midst of those things, he, he remained steadfast. And so I, I'm amazed at, uh, I'm amazed at David. He's been uh, such an example to me for so many years of my life, and the Lord told us to hold David up as an example for us as a church, that we would walk in his footsteps how are you doing with that? You walking in the footsteps of David? Is this just, is this just you know, are we just doing this? So, you know, a nice little sermon, right? And so, Dave, Dave I, you know, I went on the internet and I Googled this and I got like a sermon or something like that. No, this has been the word of the Lord, right? They, God wants us to behold David, to look at David and to become like David. He wants us to walk in the footsteps of David so that we can be disciples of Christ, 
It's not, it's not enough that we just look at David and go, oh, that was a nice message, right? We've got, to, we've got to see that God is showing us what to do, right? David thought differently. He lived differently, didn't he, right? He responded to trials differently. And he and God wants us to see his example and to follow in his footsteps, all right? So let's dive into the word of God today with open hearts and with, with, with an expectation that God's going to speak to us, but an expectation that we're going to walk in his footsteps, that if David meditated the word, what am I supposed to do? That was weak. Come on. If David meditated on the word, what are you going to do? Right. If David sang the word, what are you going to do? Right. If, if David knew his covenant, what are you going to do? That's what I'm saying, right? It's not enough this, that these are nice sermons. We've got to walk in the footsteps of David. Amen? Amen. This is what the Lord wants. So, Father, I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, open our hearts. Just ask the Lord. Hey, Lord, I open my heart. Open my heart, God. Speak to me. Give me a word today that will change my life. Lord, I'm asking for revelation that would come to us. You'd impact us and change us. Not just information. Not just, oh, yeah, inspiration. But, Lord, transformation. The power of your word. Just to change the way we live and to change the outcome of our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want to talk to you about a no good, very bad day. You guys ever read that book when you were kids? No good, very bad day. I, I, I remember my mom would read that book to me. My mom read a bunch of books to me. It was really, really good stuff. And uh, there, it was this book. I, don't, I, won't, I should have gotten it, right? Next time I should bring it out here. See, if I was a good school teacher like you, I would bring it out and all that. The no good, very bad day. It was just, I mean, it's this day where this boy, this young boy, had just the worst day of his whole life. He, all I remember, he woke up with gum in his hair, and it just went downhill from there, right? And the reality is, is that there are times in our life where we go through hard times, but there are, we, we sometimes have no good, very bad days, right? And I want to talk to you about a time where David had that. He didn't, he didn't wake up with gum in his hair, but he had a no good, very bad day, horrible day. It was the worst day, I think, of his life up to that point, all right? You're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dave. You're telling me that, because uh, we've been going through the trials of David, right? You guys remember that about a decade before this, a decade before 1 Samuel 30, Saul tried to kill him. He lost his wife. He lost his, his, his position, his job. He lost all his money. He had to go and be a fugitive and a country singer, Okay, and so, uh, yeah, right, that's a joke. So, uh, <laughs> what is that joke? What do, you, what, do you do, what do you get when you when you play a country song backwards? You get your house back, your dog back, your wife back, right? Yeah. So, uh, so David literally, but literally a decade before this uh, story here, a decade before this, he lost everything, and year after year, he keeps being chased by Saul, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. It doesn't get better, and yet we said how he continued to walk in faith, right? You're saying, Dave, it could get worse than that? Yeah, yeah, this that we're going to look at today, 1 Samuel 30, is one of my favorite stories. It's probably the story that I've meditated on the most with David because it inspires me the most. It is literally was the bottom. He had reached the bottom, if you will. Have you ever thought, uh, ever, I always think about this, it's coldest before the dawn, right? And the darkest and the coldest, right? No, the coldest too, right? Sun's on the other side of the world. gets colder. It's always coldest before the sun rises. And I'm telling you, this was the coldest 
This was the bottom. This was the no good, very bad day. And the question is today, what did David do? That answer is going to be what we need to do. So 1 Samuel 30, here's what happens. Verse 1, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, I'll explain what that is here in a second, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great, They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Yeah, that stinks. All right? Anyone had that happen before? Where you you literally come home, your house burned, and your kids taken away? I mean, maybe some of you have been through crazy stuff like that. This is the worst thing that could have ever happened. back up a little bit, David may have actually gotten himself into this position a little bit. A lot of people believe what happened was David was being chased by Saul for so long that he got afraid. He said, man, if I stick around here, he's going to get me one of these days. So he he went over to another nation called Felicia, and he basically asked one of the kings there if he could, like, hang out. So one of the kings gave him a city called and so David's here living in a foreign land, living in a city that basically he got from a foreign king in a city called Ziklag. And many people believe that this is a season of compromise in David's life. It's not that David didn't necessarily believe God. It's not necessarily that David was in sin, but that because of fear, David didn't stay in Israel where God had told him to stay, but that he had in his own human mind said, man, I better, I better do something. I better do something wise and, and get out of get out." And so here he was getting himself into some sticky situations. In fact, right before this happens, the Philistine uh, king told David, we're going against Israel and you need to come with us. So David and his men literally are going with the Philistine army to go against Israel. I mean, David had put himself in a very compromising position to actually fight against his own people, which is, I mean, he's supposed to be king one day. This was a very bad situation. And if we'll call it grace or luck or whatever, but the, uh, I'm just missing, yeah, oh yeah, Tom doesn't like that, but uh, sorry, he basically got out of it, the Philistine, other Philistine king said, uh, uh, no, we don't want David going with us, and so they, uh, those, those other Philistine kings said, no, David can't go with us, and so whew, David's thinking, ooh, got out of that sticky situation, but David kind of got himself into this mess. And yet, it wasn't his fault that these guys, these Amalekites, come and destroy his city. And so what happens is he comes back, and he's coming to his city, and when they approach it, can you imagine how you would feel, how your heart would just sink? City burned. They get there, wives gone, children gone, everything gone. See, David doesn't know that a day later, Saul is going to be killed. And his trials are going to be over. He doesn't know that in a few weeks, he's going to become king. He doesn't know that. See, we know that because we know the end of the story. We've watched the movie. Right? He doesn't know that. He's in the middle of this long trial. Can you imagine just 
you know, suffering after suffering, heartbreak after heartbreak. I mean, I'm just trying to persevere. I'm trusting the Lord. And then, bam, this happens. Everything is gone. Everything is taken away from you. He has two wives. We won't talk about that today. And they're both been taken. Gone. Gone. What does David do? It says right here, That uh, verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They are so grieved over the loss of everything that they just start weeping. They start, start crying. I mean, have you ever been in that place where you cry for so long, where you're just physically drained, you can't eat, you're numb, you can't feel anything, and they're just everything out of them. Literally no more power to weep. They cry and cry and then nothing left. You know, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with grieving. It's actually very good and it's very important for us to grieve the loss of things and to cry. But what do you do when you have no more strength? So they basically weep and they just lose all their strength. Here's where it begins to turn sour. Verse 5, or I mean where it it gets even worse, I guess to say. Verse 5. And David's two wives, him, uh, I don't even know how to say that, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Car- uh, Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So now, not only has he lost everything, not only has just things just gotten worse to worse to worse to worse, and as he comes back and his things burn and everyone's gone, all of a sudden his own men that he has been leading, that he has built their trust, they have given them, he, or they have given him their loyalty, now they're turning on him. They're saying, oh, dude, we're done with this. We've been trusting David, and look at where it's gotten us. We need to, I'm done with this guy, let's stone him. And literally it says he was greatly distressed. It's as if, have you ever been in that place where you just feel like, like life is just crushing you? It's literally what it's, that's what it's referring to. It's talking about he was under such great pressure. Physically, he's thinking, dude, they could stone me. This is life or death, right? But have you ever been in that place where life is just crushing you? The circumstance of life or just your emotions, Internally, he is just feeling the weight of this thing. This happens when all of our controls taken away. We like to control things, right? And when bad things happen that we didn't, we, you know, we don't deserve necessarily, or even things that, like I said, even if David got himself in a sticky situation, our control is taken away, and we freak out, don't we? We can't control it, and that's that's the scariest thing, oftentimes, about trials. We can't control any of this. David wasn't in, under any. David couldn't control this. David couldn't stop this. And all of a sudden, these men are wanting to kill him. These men that he trusted and they trusted him, now they are so bitter. They are so angry. They are so depressed that my kids, that they want someone to blame. And they say, man, we we should stone David. And oh my goodness, what's going on? So can you imagine how he feels? When the Bible says he was greatly distressed, I mean, all of his strength is gone. He's wept because of his own kids. And now just the pressure and the weight of this is coming upon him, and he can't control this. What does David do? What does David do? 
So it says here in verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David. He's different, isn't he? Thinks differently, lives differently, and he responds differently to this kind of circumstance. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7, said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God answered him, For you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. See, David responds differently to this. I remember, uh, this reminds me actually of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Gethsemane literally means the olive press. The weight of the sin of the world was coming on Jesus. Not because of his sin, but it was his choice, wasn't it? Those of you, you know that. He chose the cross for the joy set. And he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the sin of the world became, started to come upon Jesus. And he literally said, I am sorrowful, deeply sorrowful. He says, even unto death felt the weight of the sin of the world coming upon him. And he went over to the Father, you guys remember. He cried out to God. Father, there's any way that you could just come up with a different way to do this, right? Is there just another way to make this happen? But not my will, Father. Your will. Right? What, was it, what were his disciples doing? You know what the Gospel of Luke says? It says in the Gospel of Luke that they fell asleep. Because of they were depressed. But what did Jesus tell them to do? He said, watch, pray, lest you fall into temptation. There's nothing wrong with our emotions, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, but they do reveal what's going on inside our hearts. And there's nothing wrong with crying and weeping and grieving. Jesus was so under stress, the pressure of the cross was so great that he literally sweat blood. The Bible says. And yet what did he do? He went to God, didn't he? He sought God. And he aligned his will. He surrendered to the will of the Father. And he aligned his will with God's will. Not my will. Your will be done. Angels actually came to him and encouraged him. But the disciples were such, they weren't the ones who were going to die, but they were so confused by Jesus' sorrow, and they were so distraught by the lack of confidence that they didn't, they didn't see confidence in Jesus. They just, they misperceived He was steadfast, but he was under stress. That they fall asleep, but Jesus prayed. What does that mean that David strengthened himself? What I'm trying to say is that when you run into it, no good, very 
when you're under that stress, when you're under that pressure, what do you do? Because what you do reveals who you are. We've been saying that lately, haven't we? That we, in this last number of weeks, we have seen more about who David really is and what really was going on in David's heart than through any other portions of Scripture. Because when you're under pressure, when you're being tested, that's who you really are comes out. Weight, pressure, stress, it tests your infrastructure, doesn't it? Tests your mental. When an earthquake comes, that's how we know what it's made of, don't we? Haiti, everything fell apart. Tragically. Not what God wanted, of course. I don't mean to say that with such callousness, but Haiti, everything fell apart. Why? The way they built the concrete buildings with no rebar. Just, just dust, just things crumbled. Over in Chile, nine something, right? Remember Lee Snobble told us, the earthquake in Chile, those things stayed up. How come? Built. Right? Infrastructure. Bible calls it might. Your metal, your infrastructure. What's going on inside your heart gets tested under these circumstances. What did Jesus do? What did his disciples do? What did David's men do? What did David do? See, we see what's going on in someone's heart by the way they respond. And what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. What does that mean, he strengthened himself in the Lord? Just a couple of, uh, just a couple of years before this, and, and, and a couple of chapters before this, 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan actually comes to David and encourages him. It's the same exact word as in this story. Let me show you here. It says this in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Samuel 23, 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Strengthened his hand in God. Same word. It means to impart to another person. It means to give them courage, encouragement. To give to them something they don't already have. When you're tired, when you're weak, when you're discouraged, when you're downcast, and someone comes along and encourages you, strengthens you, builds you up, that's what they're doing, right? They strengthen your hand in God. That's what a covenant friend is supposed to do, aren't they? Jonathan. We all need a Jonathan in our life or a Jonathina. We all need a covenant friend. And what's the number one thing that a covenant friend is supposed to do? Be faithful, loyal, all that. Keep covenant. Come alongside you and be there when you have nothing. Now, Jonathan came to David in the midst of David's trials, and it strengthened his hand in God. He encouraged him. He built his courage back up. And listen how he did it. He did it with words. Haven't we been learning about the power of our words to bring life or death? Look at what Jonathan does. He strengthens him, and verse 17 says, And he said to him, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. How do you strengthen someone's hand in God? 
How do you encourage somebody? You speak the word of the Lord over them. You come to them and you say, this is who God is. He's faithful. He loves you. He's with you. Right? If, they, if, they don't, if they don't know their worth or their value, you speak to them about how God loves them and their value in Christ and their identity. If they're discouraged about their calling, you speak to them and you say, God's going to do what he said for you. You remind them of the promise of God. You remind them of their calling. You remind them of their identity. This is what Jonathan was doing for David, right? This is how you strengthen someone in the Lord. But Jonathan wasn't there on that day, was he? There was no Jonathan. All of David's men had turned against him because of the bitterness in their own soul. They, could, they weren't there to encourage David. So what do you do when nobody is there to support you? When people feel that you are the problem, but, and you didn't... You didn't See, Jonathan could come to David in the wilderness and encourage him, but he didn't live with David in the cave. We all need covenant friends, but they can't be there all the time because they're not God. Sometimes our covenant friends, they're the ones hurting They're just not there to be able to support you. Sometimes they're just not physically able to be there. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the parakletos, the one who walks beside us, the comforter, friend, because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It means I'm always going to be with you, really, like I'm with you physically, my spirit in you, but I'll never forsake you, meaning I'll never turn my heart against you. My heart will always be turned towards you. I'm with you, I'm for you, like we were singing today. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because Jonathan might not be able to be there. Your covenant friend might not have the thing that you need. In fact, might be mad at you or something like that. Who do you look to then? This is what I mean. There's no one there for David, except for one. There's one who hasn't left him. And there's one who hasn't changed. So what does David do? What do you do when no one is there to encourage you? What do you do when there's no one there to strengthen you? Many times, for us, that's our excuse for losing heart. But it's the very reason to go to the Lord. Look at what he does. He says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? He encouraged himself. He reminded himself. How did he do that? He did it the same way that Jonathan did it for him with words. Words. This is what David has been doing day after day, year after year, when he, when he was a young man all the way through his 20s when he's being chased by Saul. What was he doing? What have we been learning week after week here as we've been looking at the Psalms? You're my refuge and my rock. You're my refuge and my rock. You are my God. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You are good. 
Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because you're with me. Well, what's David doing? Strengthening himself in the Lord. Speaking words. Reminding himself of the promises. Reminding himself of, his, of God's character and his identity. Reminding himself. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You are with me. You will perfect what concerns me. Even though I'm walking in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will send forth your salvation from heaven and rescue me. Over and over and over and over again. That's what David would do. Did he not? Look at what God says to, or listen to what God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Listen. Same word here. Verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now that's an interesting commandment, isn't it? Be strong. I don't know. I remember when I first started looking at these years ago. As I told you, I, I, I saw David strengthen himself in the Lord. And I thought to myself, I would crumble. I would crumble. Why is David not crumbling? Think about it. He faced Goliath and he beat that giant. I think this is a bigger giant. What David is going through, losing everything, this is huge. And I looked at Joshua chapter 1 and I thought to myself, well, that just seems cruel. Be strong. How are you supposed to obey that commandment? That seems like one of those impossibilities. I am weak. Be strong. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? It seems like, lift up that mountain. <laughs> Dang it. I'm not going to be able to do that. Is that, is, that, is, is that really what's going on? Does God just like tell us to do stuff that we can't do? Like that one, remember that woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. Yeah, easy for you to say, right? Or does Jesus' words, his commandments, impart that actually to us? Does he actually tell us how to walk in his ways? Yeah. Jesus actually teaches that woman how to walk in his way and not sin. He tells us, you abide in my word, Disciples, indeed, you shall know the truth, and truth set you free. What does he tell? Come here, follow me. Be in my word. The same thing going on here with Joshua, and the same thing that David did. This is one of David's favorite passages here in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and of good courage. Well, why is that? Because you will divide as an inheritance the land that I'm going to give my people. What's he telling him? Be strong because my calling, my, my calling on your life will be fulfilled. You see, it's the same thing that Jonathan said to David. Jonathan told David, don't be afraid. God is going to deliver you from Saul and you're going to become king just like he said. And it's the same thing that God is telling Joshua. God is imparting strength to the heart of Joshua. By doing what? 
speaking promises over Joshua. Joshua, be strong. You will fulfill your calling. Joshua, be courageous because I am with you just like I was with Moses. So I will be with you. This is what God is saying to Joshua. Listen to what he, he goes on. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Right? Strength and courage ultimately leads us into obedience. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Where? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Listen, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's God doing? He's imparting strength to Joshua. And he just told Joshua what to do to get strong. But God, I don't have faith. But God, I'm weak. But God, I, I'm tempted and I keep falling into the same temptation, the same sin, the same pattern. What do I do? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Your mouth but meditate in it day and night. Remember what, remember what James said in the book of James? Big boat, little rudder. Big horse, little bit in his mouth. What turns the ship? The little rudder, right? What turns the horse? The little bit in his mouth. What did James say? What turns our body? tongue words what happens when you meditate the word day day and night day and night day and night day and night meditate the word day and night you shall not let this book of the law depart from your mouth you should not let this book of the law depart from your mouth what are you speaking that's not in line with the word of god your words have the power of life and death in them you speak your words, you'll get your results. You speak God's words, you get God's results. What words do you speak? Oh, but I'm just being honest. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going through a really hard time right now. What words are you speaking that are not in line with God's word? You can't push time out on the spirit realm. You can't push pause on life. Whoop, pause. Okay, pause the video game. Oh, oops, I died. Let's reset the video game. That's not life, is it? There's no reset. There's no pause. There's no timeout. There's no, uh, can we do the redo? Redo. There's no redo. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Because watch what David does. He does exactly what God did to Joshua. He does exactly what Jonathan did to David. He strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? God, you will fulfill your calling for my life. You will do what you said. I believe your word. He worshiped. 
He praised God. You know, what's very interesting about this is that King Saul, just a day before this, a chapter before and a day before, he was under the great stress too. Philistines were coming. God wasn't talking to Saul anymore because Saul had hardened his heart. And under great stress, what did Saul do? He went to a medium. What we do, don't we? We go to mediums and spiritists and the Bible says not to do. Oh, no, we don't do that anymore, do Because we're Christian, right? Oh, no, we just, go to, we just go to other people, other sources. Instead of going to God. We put our trust in so many other things, don't we? And we speak words that are not in line with God's word. And guess what it does? Drain you of all your courage and all your strength against sin, against temptation. See, this world is speaking words to you, trying to undermine your faith in God, trying to undermine your courage against sin, trying to convince you to do it the world's way, trying to convince you to put your trust in money. Jesus said you can either serve God or mammon, right? Trust money, trust money. Money will fix your problem. Money will fix your problem. We look to other gods, other sources. What did David do? He looked to the Lord, his God. I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. You're my only hope, God. You don't come through, they're going to stone me. You don't come through, I'm going to die. And he looked to the Lord and he strengthened himself in God. What does that mean? He reminded himself of the promises. See, I learned this from David years ago in a place of despair, in a place of unbelief in my own life. And I, I saw that God needed to strengthen me. I needed strength. I began to meditate the word day and night. I began to remind myself of God's promises and build myself up on testimonies. Remember, we would sit around when I was first the pastor, we'd sit around, Kurt was reminding me of this, we'd sit around the, the, the card table, that was our boardroom table, right? The staff, executive table, whatever. And we would begin our executive meetings by celebrating what God was doing, we would share testimonies. And I would keep track of them. We still do. Keep track of all the testimonies, maybe from a prayer card, maybe from a story, from a life group, from Sunday morning. Rachel's leg growing, being healed. Right? Ears that had ringing, stopped ringing. Backs that had pain, pain was gone. Knees that were full of liquid and they couldn't bend and it was full of pain. Pain, gone. Swelling, gone. Just by a word. Remember, I just said, get out. Went down. Cancer, healed. Right? So I remind myself. I remind myself of the restoration I've seen in marriages. I remind myself of people like Jenny come to the Lord to worship God. Emily. I remind myself of what God has done in Kurt. Transform that man. Release his calling in a greater way. I remind myself the testimonies of God. I remind myself of my own testimony. I rehearse 
all the things that God has delivered me from, all the different bondages and sins, I remind myself, I go back to when I was 16, and I go over the story of how I got saved. And how if it wasn't for the grace of God, my life would be a wreck. I remind myself of what it was like to be dead in sin. To literally not have the spirit of the living God inside of me. I remember when he came inside of me. I remember when I was born again. I remind myself. And I go over the testimonies. I remember David would say that in his psalms. One of the, I can't even remember what psalm it was, but I remember reading it recently where he goes, you have delivered me from all my troubles. And it's actually like a psalm that's like, like, a, like, the, like the same month that he lost everything. I'm like, that's a man of faith right there, right? He loses everything. You have delivered me from all my troubles. I'm thinking, dude, you're in them. And he says, you've delivered from all my troubles. Does that make sense? He reminded himself of what God had done. That if you freed me from that, you're going to free me from this and this and this and the next thing and anything I don't know that is going to come because you made a promise to me. And then he'd start declaring the promises. I'm in the midst of trouble, but you will perfect what concerns me, right? This is what I'm trying to say. And so what I started doing was meditating the promises of God, meditating on the word of God. And I'll tell you, it, back in those days, I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't stop feeling differently. But now I'll tell you nowadays, it's not that very difficult to get myself back on track. You know, I get discouraged or I'll get tempted. The enemy comes and accuses us, doesn't he? He tempts us. But I'll tell you, it's not very difficult for me to just go, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. It's a lot easier now. Not that I don't have to make a choice, but it's a lot easier to say, I just, I know what to do. It's a skill to strengthen yourself in the Lord. To build up your own faith on the promises and the testimonies from the Word of God. I remember back in the day, like again, over a decade ago, I was so disillusioned. I would study church history. I would read biographies. I would build up my faith because I thought, man, what's God doing on the earth? You know, it seems like the church is just a mess. You know, when people tell me that nowadays, they're like, man, you know, I don't know, miracles happen other places or God's moving other places. I go, you must not get out much. Being silly. Because God is doing so much in the world. Jesus' church is advancing. The gospel is going forth and bearing fruit. People's lives are being transformed. We are in the midst of the world's, the, 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 this, of all of human history, we're literally living in the midst of the greatest revival ever. Ever. In church history, human history, we're seeing God do amazing things. But the enemy lies to us, doesn't he? The enemy gets us to our little world. And the enemy gets us to forget what God has done and what he will do. But that is because we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to believe what he said. And so I remind myself of these things. I still do. Myself. That I am not the pastor of the church. Jesus is. He's leading his church. And I get to steward this house. And I'm a part of something so much bigger than myself. This is what I mean, is I've learned to build myself up, to strengthen myself in the Lord. Notice what happened. That when David strengthened himself in the Lord, 
he immediately turned in verse 7 to the priest and said, bring me the ephod. And he inquired, it says in verse 8, he inquired of the Lord. What does that mean? It means he asked God what to do. That's it. He sought the Lord and he said, what, what should I do? And notice he asked a very specific question. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? You don't need to be, go like, uh, mm, what do I do? God, speak to me. You can go and ask God questions. Does that make sense? You can, you can come to God and say, hey, this is what I think I should do. Should I do that? But notice that David always inquired of the Lord. He didn't presume, but he wasn't passive either. He would inquire. He would ask God, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to go after them? Where did that courage come from? Where did his Where did his faith to ask God what to do come from? It came from strengthening himself in the Lord. Do you think that if he hadn't strengthened himself in the Lord, that he would have asked God what to do? No, he would have been depressed, discouraged, or dead. Do you think that if he hadn't strengthened himself in the Lord, that he would have even heard God? No. See, I've learned, I've learned, I don't hear God in a vacuum. I don't hear God in silence. Now, I'm not saying you can't just like wait quietly at times for the Lord. But you know how I hear the Lord? The Bible calls it the hearing of faith. I hear God by building my faith in the word. So what do I do? I do what I just told you. I worship. I pray in the spirit a lot. I read the word. I tell my mind, stop it. I read the word and I listen to the word and the spirit speaks to me. I pray in my spiritual language so I can align my spirit with his spirit. I worship and I declare the promises like I was just telling you about. And what happens when I do that? I align myself with God. Why did David hear God's voice? He tuned into the radio station. We're not, the lack of hearing God's voice isn't because there's something wrong with God. It's something wrong with us. It's our receiver needs to be fixed. Our receiver needs to be tuned in, yeah? And so what we need to do is tune into the Lord. And what did God tell David? God says, pursue, for you shall overtake them and without fail recover all. David, go get them. I'm going to restore everything. And guess what happened? You keep reading. The text says two times. All, all the women and children, all their property, they took the Amalekite stuff too, recovered everything. Here's what I want to challenge you on. If David hadn't strengthened himself in the Lord, would he have heard God? And if he hadn't heard God, would he have recovered all? The answer is no. You've got to understand, people lose heart. They give up on God. And they don't recover all. They don't see the breakthrough. They don't see the freedom. They don't see the miracle. And it validates their unbelief. I just want to encourage you, never listen to those people, all right? False prophets. That they fulfilled their own self-prophecy, didn't they? I don't know why God let this happen. Well, you know, whatever happens just happens. You know, it must happen for a reason. And they talk this way. 
They give up and they get mad at God or they check out. They give in to sin. They numb out. And then they see, see, this is all a mess. Oh my God, let this happen. Is that what David did? Because he could have lived there, couldn't he? He could have lived there. Lived in depression. Allowed there to be discouragement. He could have said, forget it. He could have done all of that. He would not have heard God, and he would not have recovered all. Well, you know, sometimes you just, when you're serving the Lord, you just lose your wives. You know? And we say these things, don't we? And, and oftentimes it's a justification for somebody who has sinned because they didn't trust the Lord. But listen, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He heard God and he recovered all. You've probably heard it said before. You want to see a miracle? You need an impossible situation. True. When you have nothing, when you can't control anything, and you can't do anything, what do you do? You look to the Lord, because nothing is impossible to Him. But what else do you need for a miracle? They don't just happen. That always bothers me, because there's one line in a song. Miracles just happen. They don't just happen. Read the Bible. Remember the Israelites on the bank of the Red Sea? an army behind them and a sea in front of them, we're dead. Right? That's what they thought. They start freaking out. You know what God said? Shh, be quiet. I'm going to save you. Just be quiet. Don't speak those words of death. I'm going to deliver you. And what did he do? Split a sea, it opened. They walked on dry land with a on their left and their right. Nothing is impossible to God. What I, okay, listen, what I'm saying is this. You're in the wilderness. You're in a trial. You've got a sea in front of you and an army behind you. Okay, Financially, everything fell apart. Fi- uh, relationally, you see no way that God could restore. You've lost any other hope except for God. You say, but God. In every situation, there's always a door. The Bible calls a door of hope. How do you see that door of hope? It's hiding. How do you find that door of hope? You strengthen yourself in the Lord. David said in Psalm 27, when I get into the presence of God, he says, he hides me in the secret place of the tabernacle and he lifts me above my enemies. It changes your perspective. You get to see as God sees instead of with your own natural eyes. You see what God is doing. You see your authority. You see God moving on your behalf. And what happens when you strengthen yourself in the Lord? You stand on those. You position your own heart. You tune your tuner to hear God's voice. And he'll speak to you and say, there's the door. I'm telling you, there is a strategy to win every battle. There is a word for you to get victory in any situation. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You going to just roll over and let him do it? We need to know our authority in Christ. Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Listen, if someone moved into my house... Okay, I go on vacation. Someone moves into my house. 
Yeah, they call that a squatter, right? I come home. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. This is my house. Not anymore. Well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I live here. Uh, not anymore. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. My, my name's on the deed. This is my house. Not anymore. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Are you, am I going to l- roll over? Oh, okay. Well, I guess everything happens for a reason. Well, Lord, I guess you must have a purpose in this. But this is what we let the devil do. We let the devil rob, kill, and destroy from us. What do you do when someone moves into your house? That's my name on that title, and I'm going to go get the, the police, right? The word is our covenant. The word is our legal document, is it not? And when the devil, who's a bully and a thief and a liar, comes to tell you, that's not what the word says. How do you know it applies to you? You go, because of the blood of Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. This is my promises. These are, this is my covenant with God. You've got to understand, what do you do when someone breaks the law? You enforce it. Just because Jesus has died and risen and everything is under his feet, and we have been given authority in Christ, does not mean, oh yeah, just the, you know, this, this stuff already automatically happens. Happens automatically. No, it doesn't. We have been given authority so that we can enforce the law of God. This is the law of God. The word, his promises, his ways are the law of God. And when the devil accuses you and lies to you and tempts you and tries to steal things from you, you say, no, this is what the word says. And you stand on the word of God and you cry out to the judge, right? You bring it into the court of heaven and you say, Father, I'm asking that you would vindicate me, that you would deliver me. This is what David did, didn't he? And didn't Jesus say, won't I deliver my people if they night and day? Didn't Jesus say that? But then he asked, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? If David hadn't strengthened himself in the Lord, he wouldn't have heard God. He wouldn't have seen that open door and he wouldn't have recovered all. But David shows us exactly what to do. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. Do not allow fear, discouragement, disillusionment to come in and rob you of your faith. You stand on the word of God. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Remember Ephesians 6? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God. When the enemy throws something at you, shield of faith. Your faith. What's the shield? Faith. What's the, bre- what's the helmet? Your righteousness in Christ. Right? I mean, the helmet is, the, is your salvation in Christ. The, bre- the breastplate is your righteousness in Christ. Belt of truth. Shoes of the gospel of peace. And what's coming out of your mouth? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen? Be strong in the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not your strength. But you've got to stand on his word. And now what I'm saying is this. If you will strengthen yourself in the Lord and ask God what to do, say, God, what do you want me to do? Build up your faith. 
Get into his presence. And in that place of worshiping him, in that place in his presence, you ask him, God, what do you want me to do? What will happen? God will restore you. God will vindicate you. God will recover all. And it will take your obedience. It will take you saying, okay, God, you told me to go pursue. I will go pursue. Does it make sense? You need, to, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You need to hear God, and then you'll need to go and obey. And it's as you obey him, you will see God recover all. See, this is what God does. In Galatians 6 says, and a man reaps what he sows. Do not lose heart. Do not grow weary while doing good. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Don't lose heart and then think that that was what God wanted. You stand in faith. You ask God what he wants you to do, and he will recover all. That's what God wants, because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But what did Jesus come to do? Give you life and life abundantly. He came to destroy the works of the devil and recover all for you. But it's going to take your partnership. do it. Let's stand up and pray. You want to come up? I'll stand up here with you a little bit. Joe's going to lead us in some response here. Come here, bud. Sorry. Well, Joshua's pulling on stuff for me. All right, bud. All right. So um, I guess the question is, who is your covenant friend? And to respond in that, like, we like to surround ourselves with people who think like us. And if you're like me, I like to surround myself with people who are going to like, yes, Michelle, that's so sad for you, um, who are just going to pity with me, right? And that's okay. But sometimes I'm wrong. And if I just surround myself with people who agree with me, it's not good. And so... Do you have someone in your life who speaks the truth to you? When, when you come to them, they say, like, my covenant friend, okay? Someone like that would be charity in my life, where we can be meeting together and she'll say, I hear you, Michelle, but what's the lie that you're believing in that? And sometimes that's not always what I want to hear. I don't always want to hear, like, I'm believing a lie. But that, that's what a covenant friend does. Is, and it may not be your best friend. You can keep your best friend in your pocket all the time, but sometimes your best friend wants you just to be happy. And I've been at fault with that with my best friends, where I just wanted them to be happy. I, and so I didn't say the hard thing to them. I didn't um, go to them in times where they needed to hear the truth and love, the truth of what God's word says. And... Um, and just as Dave was sharing, um, as we declare over our own selves the truth, that we strengthen our own selves, if you're married this morning, as a, you're in a covenant relationship with your spouse, and it is also your place, your right, whatever you want to call it, to speak that truth over your spouse, and to make sure that as you do that over yourself, you, in the same way, are doing that over your husband or, or over your wife, that you strengthen them with your words, whether that be in the spirit, whether that would be... It'd be awesome if you do it one-on-one with each other. Like, I see this in you, and I see what God's doing in your life. And, and, you, and I bless you in the name of Jesus. Whatever that looks like for your relationship, that you are strengthening one another. But for you personally, who is your covenant 
friend. And it's so important to surround ourselves with people who will speak the truth in love and not just hurrah around us in our pity. So you can close in prayer. So we're going to have prayer teams in the back to partner with you in prayer. And there was a word of knowledge that if anyone has a heart condition, we want to pray with you to see that healed. That means a physical heart condition, so maybe heart disease or something like that, or even the fear of that. We had sensed, uh, two of us, Lynn and I, had sensed that even the fear that there might be something wrong with your heart. You say, oh, I don't know if there really is. I haven't been to the doctor. All right, well, let's pray over that. And also even spiritual things. If you're saying, man, I think there's just something going on in my heart that you need to partner with somebody emotionally or spiritually. Also, I sense that there may be suicidal lies. I say lies because they are lies, but just that uh, fear or that uh, depression or uh, attacking, oh, I want to give up or maybe I should kill myself. That, those are lies from the enemy. It's accusations. And you need par- someone to partner with you in prayer. We'll pray with you. If it's too sensitive for you to bring up, like with a prayer team member, you find one of the pastors around here, like my wife and I, and we want to partner with you in that. And also, uh, this is kind of sad news, but Brandon is actually, uh, we're sending him out today. It's a good thing for him, bad for us. Uh, but Brandon, we love this guy. He's a man of God, and he's being sent down to San Diego. Kind of a job change, but also a spiritual change for him. God's going to do great things in and through him. So he's going to be in the back there for us to be able to partner with him in prayer, just to lay hands on him. So if you know Brandon, please do that. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Say, thank you, Lord, that you are with me, and you are for me. You are my salvation my healer, my God, who will recover all. You will bring restoration. You will answer my prayers because you are faithful and you're good and you love me because you died for me and you rose again and you're sitting at the Father's right hand and you're coming soon. I trust you. I put my hope in you and I thank you Lord you will come through so Father I ask strengthen me give me strength give me courage give me hope teach me to trust you to hear your voice to obey you in the name of Jesus Amen Amen. So if you need to go, you're free, but prayer team's in the back, and Jen and the team lead us in worship. Love you guys. We'll see you later.